welcome to the Wilder Outdoors podcast, where you'll get the inspiration and information you need to have great outdoor adventures with your family. I'm Rob, your host. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Today, I had the awesome opportunity to chat with Tina Hallenbeck, and Tina is a former homeschool parent. She's a podcast host. She hosts the Loftcast 2.0, and she does a ton to help and support homeschool families. But the reason I had her on today was because she has written a book about essentially Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences theory, but applying that to uh, homeschool kids. And one of those intelligences is natural or nature intelligence. And I thought it would be a great conversation for this podcast, knowing that there are lots of folks here who do homeschool, many who don't, but a lot of us have kids who know the world through nature. And so Tina today sheds some light on that, how we can support our kids if we know that that's the way that they learn, the way that they see the world, and also how we can know if that's the way that they learn and, and the way that they see the world. Now, before we start, if you could do me a favor, subscribe to this podcast. And you know, if you like it, please give it a good review. It helps raise the podcast in the rankings and helps get the word out. And with that, let's start today's episode. Hi, everyone. Uh, with me today, I have Tina Hallenbeck. And Tina is a really cool person, as you'll find out. Um, she's a homeschooling mom. She has put together tons of great resources for homeschooling families. She's the host of the Loftcast 2.0, which focuses on uh, supporting homeschooling families in her region. Uh, but she's also the author of a great book called Eight Great Smarts for Homeschoolers. And you might be wondering how that relates to the outdoors, and you'll find out soon enough. But we We'll, we'll talk through that, but one of the smarts or the sort of intelligences that she explored in this book is sort of a natural intelligence, and I'm excited to learn for myself a little bit more from her. So, Tina, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So, Tina, you and I know each other a little bit, but for folks who don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, my husband and I have been married for a very long time, um, and we have two daughters um, who are 21 and 22 years old. And prior to my girls being born, I spent several years as a public school teacher at the middle school and high school level. Um, but we also knew that as soon as we did have children, um, I would leave that job um, by my choice and come home and be an at-home mom and raise my kids. Um, in the meantime, I had met some of the modern homeschool pioneer families in my area. I live in Northeast Wisconsin, go Packers. Um, <laughs> and um, I really was intrigued by the idea of homeschooling. I hadn't known anything about it growing up. Um, in fact, it was not even legal in my state until the year I graduated high school. So, um, so it wasn't something on my radar screen, but I met this family and they were really cool and the kids were so well-rounded um, and yet they had like deep passion in each, a particular one, you know, interest for each of them. Um, and I thought it was really cool. So I talked to my husband about it. We we're newlyweds at the time and he said, I don't know about that. And he was really most concerned that his parents would be offended because his parents were public school teachers. And he is a firstborn, very good boy, and he just didn't want to hurt his parents' feelings. And yeah, fast forward, we, we had kids 10 years later, so it kind of was off the radar screen for him, but not for me. And so my girls are Irish twins. They were born 11 and a half months apart. And and while I was raising them as babies and toddlers, Jeff was uh, an interim youth pastor at a church we were attending at the time. And he came home one day after having gotten to know the kids for several months and he said, okay, I've gotten to know all of them and I, and I like most of them, but um, there's something about those homeschooled kids. 
And this would have been, you know, ages 12 to 18. Uh, in, so teenagers and, and some time in homeschooling. And he said, they are the most social kids of any of in the group. They can talk to anybody about anything. They have an interest, not only in what I'm teaching, but in just other really cool subjects, you know, history, literature, science, whatever. They're different than the other kids. And he meant that in the very best way. And he said, so if that's what homeschooling does, I'm all in. And that's all I needed. I just needed his green light. And I'm like, all right, good. I'm joining a homeschool group. We're, we're doing it. <laughs> um, and uh, But he was in. We talked to his parents. They were fine. They're wonderful. They totally support their kids, you know, doing what they want to do with their own children. And I guess I've never looked back since then. That's great. And now, Tina, you um, you support homeschoolers in your area, right? Yes, uh, in my area and beyond. So, um, so again, my girls are 21 and 22. That means I homeschooled them all the way through. They are they are productive, happy, healthy young adults. So proof is in the pudding. Um, and I guess it was around the time 2013 is when I would say that I switched from being quote unquote just a homeschool mom with my own kids to starting to advocate and help other homeschoolers. And it was kind of by accident. Um, I'm just one of these people who likes to understand nuts and bolts and details. And so I really started to make sure I understood the ins and outs of our homeschool law and people would ask me about it. So then I'd answer their questions. And in 2013, I started a curriculum database that I had no idea how large it would become. Um, but that's the year I started the homeschool resource roadmap. And from there, it just kind of snowballed because I started a homeschool group on Facebook and pretty soon 6,000 people were in it and asking me questions. And, and my girls were thankfully middle school, high school age at that point, which means I was facilitating their learning, but I wasn't needing to do tons of direct instruction. So I, I had some time. And um, so I've been doing that since 2013 and then wrote the book in 2021, which I know we'll get into that. And that same time, um, a friend of mine and I decided to start the Homeschool Loftcast, or the Homeschool Loft, which is a physical place in our community that supports homeschoolers in this area, like in my county and some surrounding counties. Again, more specific to Wisconsin homeschool law, more about what activities are in our area kind of thing. Um, but I have done some consultations with people that don't live anywhere close to Wisconsin who just want general help with homeschooling. And it's kind of been through the homeschool loft that I've done that. And then through the loft, we also have that podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, I am, um, you know, I, I've listened to some of the older episodes on the, the first iteration of the podcast and the, the episodes about homeschooling laws were super, super helpful. Yeah, we're, our, our goal is to try to get a guest on who can talk about every state, um, because I think the best way to understand it is some a, a grassroots veteran who's been there, done that, um, and then they can tell you what the, the law actually means in day-to-day -day practice. Well, and, you know, it got me thinking as you're talking, you know, we'll, we'll get to the book in a second because it's, it's fantastic, but I think there are a lot of folks right now who might be listening to this podcast who might be considering homeschooling or have thought about it. It it might seem a little overwhelming to them, but they they very much are fed up or maybe not say fed up, but they realize that there's something wrong with a lot of the traditional models that are available to kids. Right. And, you know, folks here are probably going to be interested in the outdoors. And I know you work with a lot of folks and part of the beauty of homeschooling yep. is that you can kind of build it how you want. I was wondering if you could speak about some of the the sort of outdoor focused options that there are in the homeschooling world. 
Oh my goodness. There, there are so many. Um, I can name a few just to let people know. Um, but w the thing I mentioned that I started and I've been doing since 2013, this curriculum database, the Homeschool Resource Roadmap, um, one of my goals with that has been to list every single resource provider that homeschoolers have access to. And I categorize them in different ways so people can, kind of, can see what they, um, their own preferences and find things that match their own preferences. Along the lines of that, I have found um, many nature-based programs. Um, some of the categories that those would fall under would be, um, if, if you're kind of hearing homeschooling terms because it's on your radar screen, Waldorf. The Waldorf approach is very nature-oriented. Montessori can be quite nature-oriented, and there's another approach called Charlotte Mason, which a key element of what she did was to develop nature study. It's like 50% of what she does is nature study. Um, and so, I mean, there's so many curricula I could mention. One that is out there that people who love nature love is something called Wild and Free. And even just the name is cool, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, everything about the approach that um, this gal uses, who uh, Ainsley Arment is her name. Um, she wrote a book called Wild and Free. She's got a podcast. She's got a whole setup is homeschooling through nature. And basically your kids are outside all the time <laughs> and they're doing everything outside. And, um, but there are lots and lots of other providers of helps like that, because I think sometimes you don't necessarily need a full curriculum, um, but you need some guidance and there are definitely resources out there for that. And if people look at the homeschool resource roadmap, they can, they can glean those for themselves and they could also contact me if they wanted to. Um, and we could go further with that. Yeah. So if anyone's interested in either of those resources, you know, speaking with Tina or her, um, her roadmap, we'll, we'll share some links to that in the show notes, but also at the end of the episode, I'll give Tina a chance to, uh, to share how you can do that. But yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I, I know we have a wild and free group here in the twin cities and I have, I've had the pleasure of teaching, uh, some of those kids, I teach outdoor and survival skills to some homeschool groups and they are just some of the most adventurous, wild and free kids. Um, <laughs> they're very, but very respectful, very thoughtful. I had some of the best questions I've ever had come from that group. Um, and I think I'm we also, surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a great way to do it. And I think yeah. we have a forest school co-op. Um, mm -hmm. near and that's well. another thing. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention that too. Um, there are um, co-ops where, yeah, a lot of them are called forest schools. And so you could look that up in your area. Um, it might be just like a half day where you gather with other kids and do the forest school curriculum and things it might be a full day. Some states have uh, it in their homeschool law where you can be in a hybrid model and maybe, you know, in the forest school or whatever, two to three days a week. And then at home, two to three days, not every state has that option um, legally, but some do. Um, so that is another term to look for. All right. So Tina, you wrote a book. Tell yes. us about it. <laughs> um, so it's called Eight Great Smarts for Homeschoolers. And it is based on the research done some time ago, I'm thinking like 1970, by a gentleman named Howard Gardner, and then another gentleman named Thomas Armstrong. And they were the educational psychologists who did the research behind this whole concept of, it's called multiple intelligences, the, the terminology that they gave it which always strikes me as something like aliens, because I guess I watch too much Star Trek and Star Wars. But um, so they call it the multiple intelligences. But the idea is, and this is the research they did, brain research, right? So it's not just a theory. They did brain research that shows that every single person on the planet is smart 
intelligent in at least eight different ways. Um, and so, you know, if we could kind of envision the brain and divide it into quadrants as far as like learning modalities, um, maybe that's not the right word, but that's kind of the idea that they were thinking of. And what they discovered is every person from birth has all eight capacities. Um, and over time, it will become clear, like starting at age 8, 9, 10, and beyond, that we each also have two or three intelligences that we kind of focus on in our lives, that are our defaults. Like if we're in a new learning situation that's stressful, for me, I'm very word smart. So I'm going to default to my word smart because it's one of my top smarts. I, I personally wouldn't default to nature smart because that's my number eight, unfortunately. Um, doesn't mean I can't use it, right? So we all default to a couple of them as we get older, but we all have the capacity to use any of the eight at any time. And the theory as far as childhood and learning, and this is homeschooling parents, whether you send your kids to a different school, doesn't matter because it's a parenting thing. Um, one of the ideas is since our children all have all eight smarts when they're little, when they're young, let's say eight and under, our job is to expose them to experiences that will awaken all eight so that they're not going to be paralyzed in any of those eight. And so that when they start to hone in on the few that are really their top favorites, it's not that they've not had exposure to something. So if we let all eight thrive when they're little, then it's okay that they focus in on a couple of them. Um, and so that's the kind of the theoretical framework behind it. Um, but my book didn't come out of that necessarily. It came, I'm kind of like a grandchild maybe of them. Um, so once upon a time, I knew a lady named Dr. Kathy Cook. And she took, I mean, 20 years ago, she took this theory of the multiple intelligences. And she wrote a book called Eight Great Smarts. Um, which took the theoretical framework and brought it down to a, an everyday layman's parenting level. And so her book is a good resource for any parents to learn about all of these eight smarts and how you can apply them and help your kids blossom into all of them. And then in March of 2020, she asked me if I would write a treatment of that concept just for homeschooling parents. And so my book is really practical application for, okay, if you are homeschooling, how can you use all of these eight smarts to help your kids learn the general content that we think that, you know, we have to learn as homeschoolers, the, the traditional subject areas. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. So what are the eight smarts? Ah, I knew you were going to ask me. So I made sure I pulled my book out so I didn't forget any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise I'm in trouble, right? So, um, they are, the first one I mentioned is word smart. And by the way, there is no hierarchy. Um, I need to say that because sometimes people think that some are better than others and they're really not. Um, I'll, I'll mention more about that in a minute. So the first one is word smart, which means uh, people who think with words, right? Um, and it's about how you think, not your feelings, not anything else, but it's, it's how do you process the world? So word smart people think with words. Um, logic smart is a second one. And those people think with questions. I think every two year old on the planet is logic smart because they just question, 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 right? Um, the third one is picture smart. So those people actually think with their eyes and with images. Um, then there's music smart. So you think with rhythms and melodies. Body smart, you think with movement and touch. Not everybody who we think has ADHD really does, in my opinion. Some are just body smart. <laughs> um, nature smart is the one that we're maybe going to talk most about. People who are nature smart think with patterns, which makes sense if you think about it, because if we look at nature, it's all patterned, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. And then the last two, people smart, they think well with other people. And then self smart is the last one, people who think deeply within self-reflection and they really kind of don't need people so much to learn. It's all about learning and thinking. Um, so those are the eight. Um, people tend to think that word smart and logic smart are the best ones to have. Um, that's not true. There's no hierarchy. There's no better or worse. What happens is in traditional school, those are the easiest to implement in traditional factory style school that we know these days. And so kids who are high in word smart and high in logic smart tend to do well in traditional school. Um, But that doesn't mean that other kids are less smart. Um, In my view, that's a fault of the system, not of the children. So that's my little Mm -hmm. editorial comment on that. (laughs) No. And again, it's another, uh, another pitch for homeschool, right? Is you, you have the opportunity to know your kid in that way and to tailor things to meet their needs. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say just, you know, about the school thing. Um, I was a school teacher for nine years. I have known many school teachers who deeply care about children. Um, I've known some who don't, but you know, there, you can get that whole spectrum, right? Um, the problem I think with the system, when you're talking about a teacher who really does care, the system itself does not allow them to do what they would love to do, uh, more customization, that kind of thing. So it's not the good teacher's faults. Um, it's the nature of the system as we know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have, I mean, I can think of two of our kids right now. The third is, is a little young to know. And, you know, we haven't like run them through an assessment or anything. But one kid knows the world through his body and through nature. Like those are, that is how he has to do things. And so sitting and reading is so hard. And it, I mean, it's, it's essential, right? He has to learn how to do it. Um, but it's, it's really hard. And we have another kid that just lives in his head and both kids, when we sent them, well, at least the older one, when we sent him to preschool, this is what tore me up because I used to be a public school teacher too. And I used to hear these critiques that, well, all we've done is reduce kids down to test scores. And I thought, no, well, tests are important. You know, I, I, I got a PhD in it. I study that stuff. And then we put our kid in home or in a preschool and the first parent teacher meeting is just all of these metrics in which our child is deficient. Not a single thing about the assets he brings to the classroom, which are many. He is the most social um, kid I know. He's incredibly gifted as a leader, right? He he is very creative. He does need to move a lot, uh, but they they just didn't see that, and and that was so hard because I thought, oh man, this kid is just going to be labeled as a problem because that's what I would have done as a teacher because I had a 30 kids and I had a very specific set of things to do through a very specific method in a very specific context. And you just, you can't get to it. You you can't personalize it for those kids. Um, okay. So like, let's say we, we have a child as most people I think listening to this do or know someone who does, and we want to know where our child's strengths lie, like what, what intelligence is they're strong in? How, how would we start to notice that? observation 
That's the main thing. There's not, I mean, if you look online, you'll find people, because lots of different people follow Gardner and Armstrong's work and have developed lots of tools around it. And so if you look online, you might find, you know, assessments for the multiple intelligences and, and you can look at those, you know, checklists for this and that. Um, I think the main thing is just observing your kids and knowing your kids. And if you know the definitions of these smarts, um, which you know, take some practice and review and reading them, but they're not complicated. You can see it a mile coming. And I, and the key though is under the age of eight, it's not probably appropriate to say, yes, I know my kid is nature smart. I know my kid is body smart. You can have an inkling, right? Like my older daughter, I, I knew almost from birth that she was body smart. <laughs> and, um, and it turns out, you know, she became like a, a high level swimmer and that kind of thing because of all that. But you can't really know it for sure until they're eight, nine, ten, and they start to really gravitate toward a couple of them. Then you can say, oh yeah, that's their top two or three. Remembering as well, though, that we all have all eight. And if you're in a situation where you or your child has to fall back on one of their lower strengths, because um, unlike what you experience in the preschool, every single one of them is a strength. Everything is an asset. It's not. There's no deficit there. It's just that you have a lesser amount of one or the other. Um, if you're in a situation where you have to default to one that is not your natural strength, you can do it. It just might be a little stressful. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think just watching your kids and being aware of how they're wired and, and who they are, and um, accepting that, you know, and not saying that's a problem if your child moves a lot or if they. They seem to daydream. They daydream. I mean, maybe, yes, they need to focus at times, but they're probably picture smart. And they are probably imagining worlds that you have no way of knowing if you're not picture smart yourself. And that's a strength. That's a beauty. Mm-hmm. My gosh, you're describing our second son to a T. <laughs> uh, he's only five, but holy cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can see it. You know, if you're if you're an observant parent you and you know the definitions, you definitely can start to see it when they're young. Um, but they themselves are still exploring everything, I think, until age eight. And so things aren't really going to settle in until then. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So we, we've talked about the different smarts. And I'm, I'm curious about the nature smart specifically. If if yeah. I've got a, a child mm-hmm. and I think they're nature smart, maybe, or I want to know if they are, mm-hmm. what things should I look for? Good question. Um, one is, so I mentioned that the, the kind of the main part of the definition is that nature smart kids think in patterns. And again, I used to think, well, how does that have to do with nature? But when you think about how the world is, there's design and there's pattern and everything, even something like the Fibonacci sequence, you know, in, in ferns and whatever. I mean, if you look, you can see pattern in nature. So I think that's where Gardner and Armstrong came up with this framework for that. Um, so if you have a kid who organizes everything in maybe it's not their room isn't neat but if they like to even with their toys if they put them into categories that's either a logic smart or a nature smart thing um if they love to collect things and especially natural elements so if they love to collect leaves and sticks and rocks and um and if they would love to have you know 52 horses and 72 cats <laughs> all these different mm-hmm. things so they if they love animals if they love plants if they if they're rock collectors you know even though they're not living beings um if they just love to be in outside um yeah so the collecting the love to be outside love to get dirty um animals, plants, minerals, um, all of that stuff. And then they pattern and organize things, especially things that are natural in, in design. Um, that's a sign of a heavily nature smart kid. No, that's so interesting. 
I guess I, I never thought of it as patterns, but you know, I'm thinking, you know, when I was a kid, I, I did a lot in the outdoors, but I especially hunted for rocks and fossils. And go. now as an adult, I, I, you know, I, I do a lot of foraging and a lot of, um, less hunting than I would like. Yes. If anyone <laughs> out there is looking for a hunting mentee, who's a little <laughs> bit new to the Midwest, please give me a call. I need some help. Um, but the thing you look for is the mm-hmm. pattern because in a lot of ways, nature is random mm-hmm. and in other ways, life is patterned, right? Yeah. And so yeah. you're looking for those, those straight lines. You're looking for parallel lines. You're looking for um, spheres. You're looking for things that um, sort of stand out from the, the chaos of say a, just a gravelly area. And so it's, it's so interesting to think about that because that is how you, you learn to function outdoors is to see patterns. Um, Yeah. And, you know, like I mentioned, there's a connection or a similarity with logic smart. A kid who's heavily logic smart can find patterns indoors. He's not going to thrive and want to be outdoors. The difference for the nature smart kid is they really want to be out and they are energized by being out in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have those same kind of, you know, patterning and organizing traits, um, in different places. Mm-hmm. So let's say I've got a kid and I think they are nature smart. Mm-hmm. Now, what do I do? Like, how do I help that, that child thrive? <laughs> oh, are, is the child homeschooled or is the child in conventional school? Let's say both or not say both. Let's, <laughs> let's have two different kids in two different scenarios. Okay. Um, so you know, my expertise is homeschooling. We'll start there, but I can talk about the other thing because that's what I wrote the book on, right? It's it's for homeschoolers. Um, so for example, just give a couple quick examples and we can follow up with others if you want. Um, let's say you're pretty sure your kid is nature smart and um, you're a homeschooler and you want to help that child to begin to learn math, right? So we're talking elementary level, but, but I want to do math. Um, a lot of young kids, because they're concrete thinkers, learn math by using manipulatives. And a lot of parents will go out and spend, you know, 30 bucks on these box of plastic counters and things like that. Well, if you have a nature smart kid, frankly, if you have any kid, don't waste the money. Go out and let him gather rocks and twigs and (laughs) shells and all the different little bits of nature. Just go to his bedroom because he probably already collected it, right? And use those natural elements for learning those original arithmetic skills. And it sounds kind of silly, like who cares what objects you use to learn it, but for a nature smart kid, because they're wired in that way, they're actually going to learn it better if you use materials that suit how they're wired. You know, the logic smart kid isn't going to care um, about natural elements, but the nature smart kid is going to kind of get into his soul somehow, and he's going to understand it better. Um, Let's say it's... um, well, I will mention that for nature smart kids, among some other kids, learning to read can be, um, in English, can be really stressful. And that's important to know. It's not that nature smart kids can't learn to read and they can't learn to read at whatever age, but think about this. Is our English language logical and ordered and patterned? <laughs> mm-hmm. not, not really, right? Yeah. I mean, if we were learning Spanish, 99.9% of the time, Spanish is very logical. Spanish has a pattern and you apply it almost all the time. English, not so much. And one thing to know when you're working with language arts, where we're talking phonics and spell or spelling, any of those kind of things with a nature smart kid, logic smart as well, um, they can get frustrated with that because anytime you start to notice a pattern in reading or spelling, then it changes. 
and you're like, well, here's the, you know, 42 exceptions to this rule. And um, I think that can cause some frustration and some stress and make the child feel like he can't learn to read, he can't learn to spell, maybe make the parent feel that way. But if you can say, it's not your fault, it is the language's fault, and let's work you know, with you to help you figure out things like that. I think those are important tools just in those couple of subject areas um, to help a child because obviously literacy and numeracy are really important and everybody has to do them. Um, but we want to be able to apply and use their strengths um, and let them know that the way they're wired, like for learning to read and, and spelling, is in contrary to the nature of the English language. But so I'm going to help you with that. It's not your fault, but it's the language's fault. Mm -hmm. That is such a good point. If you learn well with patterns, yeah. English is not your friend. <laughs> no, it isn't. You yeah. know, one of my daughters is very logic and nature smart and um, spelling was just, <laughs> was just the worst thing for her. And she was a later bloomer with reading as well. When it clicked, it clicked and she loves reading. She reads all kinds of things now. Um, but it took her a little while because I think the patterns, you know, there weren't so many versus my other child. Um, she's very logic smart and she just you know, she's kind of figured it all out. She's very word smart. Um, so yeah, I think acknowledging to the child, look, you're not dumb. You are actually smart in eight different ways. Remember? Cause I think if we start to give that vocabulary to our preschoolers, you know, look, there are eight different ways that you're smart and talk to your kids about it. Then when you, when they're struggling, you can say, you know, this is a struggle because you're nature smart, not because you're dumb and let's figure it out together. Mm -hmm. How, uh, Tell tell us a little bit about how and when you started to recognize the different strengths that each of your your kids had. Mm -hmm. um, so I mentioned the book by um, Dr. Cook. She wrote the first version of that book, which I think was called, if I'm remembering, the first version was called How Am I Smart? The, the more modern update of that is Eight Great Smarts. Um, but anyway, she wrote that when my girls were toddlers. It just so happened. Um, she had actually been a college professor of mine, though, and so she introduced me to the work of Gardner and Armstrong way back when I was in college. So it was kind of floating around in the back of my head. And when she wrote the book, and my girls were toddlers, of course, I read it. And um, so it was always kind of vocabulary in my mind. Um, and like I said, the best way is just to um, observe your children. So I had the terminology in my head. So therefore, when they started to exhibit a strength, in one particular way or another, I could notice it and I could see it. But you can do that at any age. You don't have to feel like, oh, I didn't know the terminology till today and my kid's 10. Too bad. Um, they still have the smarts. It's just a matter of you kind of understanding um, which are their strengths at that point. And so you said, sorry, you said the strength, the, the smarts that your kids are strongest in. What were they? Mm -hmm. I didn't mention that. Um, okay. So, I mean, uh, kind of ancillary. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. It is in the book. Um, so my older daughter is very body smart. And if she had been in school, they probably would have said, put her on medication, this, that, and the other thing, because she just needed to move. She was not mm. disruptive. She's a very calm girl in a lot of ways. And now she's 22 years old. And if you'd meet her, you would never guess that she was bouncing off the walls when she was little, but she was. Um, and one example where I kind of just knew, all right, this is where we're headed, is um, we were trying to work on counting. So she was very little, I mean, four, five, something like that. And I was working on it with both my girls. And I'd have her sit down and sit still with me. And she couldn't get past 10. She's probably five, you know, I'm like, she should be able to get further than that. And it was really like, what do I do here? 
And then one day I was distracted. I was doing something. I called her to the table for her math and she started skipping around the table while I was doing whatever notes I was taking, probably about her sister's lesson or something. And she was skipping around my kitchen table. She was counting and the girl got to a hundred. And then she finally sat down and said, can I stop now, mama? <laughs> and I just kind of sat there with my mouth on the floor because here's this girl. And I said, wait, can you try that again? As she's sitting still, she got to 10. She had to stop. Mm-hmm. So I tested it for the next couple of days and I say, can you, can you hop? Can you skip? Can you run? Every time she was moving, she got it. And then I started to apply that to other learning tasks. Hey, can I get you to be moving? And it doesn't have to be gross motor movement all the time. Um, I used a spelling curriculum called All About Spelling where a kid just has like magnetic letter tiles that they pull down on a whiteboard from the top of the whiteboard to where you want the learning task to happen. And just those little movements from like your finger and your arm to your shoulder, even that helps body smart kids think better. So um, so little things like that I started to observe with her. Um, one of my other daughter's top strengths is logic smart. Um, she loves to ask questions. She's also very compliant, especially when she was young. Um, but she would ask questions about everything. And she was not satisfied. And if I would say up, she would sometimes say down. And, um, and I just started to realize, oh my gosh, this child, because that's what they do. Um, they just ask questions no matter what the answer is. They want to know the why or the what or the wherefore beyond what you've already said. And, and that was Abby. And she to this day, she's super logic smart, uh, obviously. Um, so yeah, so just noticing those different things in them related to learning tasks, or maybe just life, um, but then trying to apply them to learning tasks as well. Well, that's awesome. Th- those are such good stories. They're they're very encouraging for me as I think about uh, you know our, our own kids and and how do we help support them. Right. Right. Well, Tina, this has been fantastic. Um, you do a lot. You support a lot. How can people find you or get in touch with you? I think the main way, the easiest way would be for them to reach out to me via my curriculum database. Um, Even if they don't homeschool, doesn't matter. Um, The website is the Homeschool Resource Roadmap and the URL is homeschoolroadmap.org have a contact page there so you and you can reach out the email is hsroadmap at gmail.com very simple um and again whether they homeschool or not that's probably the easiest way that they can find me no matter where they are that's wonderful and everyone again the book is eight great smarts for homeschoolers tina thank you so much my pleasure thank you for having me 